0: Thank you guys so much. It is an honor to be here with you guys this morning, and I'm just so excited about what God's doing here at Inspire with this giving tree. Uh, you know, growing up in Union City, it really hits home to me, so I'm just real excited to see what God is going to do with this. So if you've been with us here at Inspire the last four weeks, the series that we've been t- uh, talking about has been called Living. And the whole purpose of this was to encourage, inspire church to be a disciple with Monday in mind, to encourage the church to be equally passionate about being the scattered church outside of this building as we are the gathered church. So some of the things that we've covered over the last few weeks was living for God's glory, that whatever we do, we do it for the glory of God. And also last two weeks, we, we, we talked about how to live out your call and clarifying the call and the urgency to move in your call. And so as we're on that topic of the call, you know, how I stumbled on, on a, my call was as I was searching for it over the past 12, 15 years, it really came down to three things that helped me navigate exactly what my call is or what I feel that God has has placed in my life. And it was, number one, what am I naturally passionate for and excited about? Number two, what do I have the most peace with while doing and feel the most alive? And three, what do the people that I respect most have to say about all that? And I found, though, that I couldn't always trust my first instinct because there were several things that I was passionate about, right? There's a lot of things going on in my life that, that I was passionate about and excited for. I was passionate about working with special ed students, which, which, which I've been doing for the past several years. I was excited about being a teacher. I was excited about being a coach. But there was just something missing. Although I was excited in all these areas, there was always something just not quite there, and so, uh, two Christmases ago, while we were at ICS, we were going. Uh, we 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 had our Christmas play going on, and a lot of you guys have been to those Christmas plays or been a part of it. ICS was a Christian school in San Leandro that Tori was a principal of, and she wrote these amazing Christmas plays every single year. And so, during this 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 uh, weekend where 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 we gave these performances. At the end of the performance, there was always a message brought and, and some type of altar call. And every night uh, two years ago, Phil was the one to give that message. But there was one night where he couldn't be there. So Tori asked if I could do it. And I said, sure. And so I was very freaked out, scared to death. And I did it anyways. And then as I went home that night, and I, I started talking to my wife, Jerry, and she asked her, how did it go? And I told her, it went the same as every other time I've ever ministered before went. I never had more peace. I've never been more excited. I, it never felt more natural to me, right? And then so I talked to my wife about it. I talked to Phil about it later that week. And then their response was pretty much the same, uh, duh, Right, And so that's kind of how I stumbled upon my call. And I want to encourage you guys that with those three things in mind, also though, you have to understand that sometimes, most of the time, if it's from God, a call from God, it's not going to make sense. And that's okay. It is okay. Here's the difference though. Even though it doesn't make sense, do you still have peace about it? Even when you know that you shouldn't have peace about it, like you're doing something where you're like, all right, God, there's no way in the natural sense that I should have peace about what I'm doing, but for some reason, I still do. Most likely, that's from God. Most likely, that's him saying, this is your call. This is what I put on your life. And trust me, for me to be up here Uh, I mean, growing up with a huge speech impediment and and going to speech therapy classes all throughout my life, uh, to be doing what I am now, I am still scared to death to be doing this, right? But there's just still, it just feels natural to me. I have peace while doing it. I feel alive while doing it. And the people that I respect most has confirmed it. And so if you guys follow those three as well, it will help you navigate your call. Today's title, the last part of of this series on living, is called Living Stones. Living Stones. I know it sounds strange when you hear it, but the purpose of this is we're going to look at a letter that Peter wrote. And he was writing to both believing Jews and Gentiles, reminding and encouraging them that despite what's going on or where they are, that God has not forgotten them. And that God still has a plan and a purpose for their life as long as they stay connected to the source. And that's what was, and, and then so now we're going to unpack this whole living stones and what does that mean? What does that look like? How do we operate as living stones? Before we do that, let's pray. Dear God, we just completely surrender it all to you, God. I cannot do this on my own. I ask that your spirit would just move in me, speak through me, and that you would have your way with every single heart and mind in this place this morning. We completely give it to you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right, you guys. So the main passage that we're going to be looking at today is found in 1 Peter chapter 2. So if you want to turn there or just look at the screen, 1 Peter chapter 2, we're going to be starting at verse 4 and going to verse 10. So starting at verse 4, it says this, And coming to him as to a living stone, which has been rejected by men, but is choice and precious in the sight of God, you also as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For this is contained in Scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone, and he who believes in him will not be disappointed. Verse 7. This precious value then is for you who believe, but for those who disbelieve, the stone which the builders rejected, this became the very cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. For they stumble because they are disobedient to the word, and to this doom they were also appointed. Verse 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of the darkness into his marvelous light. Final verse here, verse 10. For you once were not a people. But now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. I know it's a whole lot right now. So what we're going to do this morning is we're going to take this almost verse by verse to unpack this and really see how can we apply what Peter was writing to these scattered believers about to our life this morning. So uh, before we do that, just a little background information here. Let's take a look at who Peter was exactly writing to. And in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1, it tells us this. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who reside as aliens, all right? This is the audience who's receiving this letter. To those who reside as aliens scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. This really makes this passage so exciting to hear because Peter's audience was scattered believers, both believing Jews and Gentiles, as in non-Jews, all over the outskirts of the Roman Empire. And now, why were they scattered? Well, during this time period, this was probably, out of the entire history of the world, the most persecuted time Christians have ever faced. Ever faced. In fact, most likely, the Roman emperor during this time was Emperor Nero. And this guy was crazy, okay? He was so crazy that history tells us that at one point he hated Christians so much and then wanted to see them all persecuted that he took his own city and he burnt it to the ground just so he could blame it on the Christians and persecute them even more. That's how crazy it was. So this is what these believers that Peter is writing to, this is what they are experiencing right now. At any moment, their life is on the line. They are scared. They're confused. They don't know what to do, where to go. And so they're on the outskirts of the Roman Empire, feeling lost, hopeless. And so now Peter is writing them this letter telling them that they are living stones. So next, if you're like me, you're kind of wondering, well, what exactly is a living stone anyway? Well, Peter is referring the living stones to the old temple back in the Old Testament. These stones weren't living, right? These stones were not living. They stayed in one place, but they were very significant because it was where God's presence was and only certain elite Israelites could enter it. Now, Peter is telling these scattered believers who are on the run that they are living stones, that they are now a spiritual house. So now, let's unpack this. Let's start at verse 4. Verse 4 said this, And coming to him as to a living stone which has been rejected by men, but is choice and precious in the sight of God. So the first thing this verse tells us is that we have to go to him. It starts off by saying, and coming to him. So we have to go to him. This is associated with worshipers going to the temple. We are living when we make it a habit of going to him. The first thing that believers have to do is we need to make it a habit of going to him. Going to him in the word. Going to him in prayer. Going to him in worship. And with that, with a stronger union, there becomes a stronger communion. I'm going to say that one more time. With a stronger union, there becomes a stronger communion. And I like to think of my time so far in the military. As you enter as a chaplain, you enter right off the streets as an officer. So most of these soldiers who are enlisted, they have to show you respect. They have to salute you. They have to call you sir, even though some of them are 20 years older than me, right? And so naturally, they don't like me. That's just how it is. They don't like me. They have so much more experience than me. They know so much more than I do, but yet they have to show me respect because I'm an officer. And so how do I fix that? The only way to fix that is is by me having a stronger union with them, by me going to them, going to them constantly, that no matter where they are at, no matter where i in the field, no matter how the weather is, no matter how brutal it is, that they know that their chaplain is there for them. And that builds a stronger union, and throughout time, the more and more I do this, there will be God willing, a stronger communion with these soldiers and it 's the same thing with you with, with us and our spiritual walk. The stronger union we build with Jesus by going to him, going to him, gathering together, going to connect groups, going to prayer night, reading our word, all this going to him we 're building a stronger union so that when the times get tough, we have a strong communion with him. The second thing this verse tells us is that, this, uh, is that Jesus is the living stone. We are living stones, but Jesus is the living stone. I'm going to explain that more later. The third thing this, this verse teaches us is that what man thinks doesn't matter. What man thinks doesn't matter. Jesus himself, it says, was rejected by man. But it says that he was still choice and precious in the sight of God. And that is all that matters, you guys. So so something else that this uh, segment um, reminded me of was that rejection by men is often part of the process. It is part of the process of finding your call. Rejection by, by men. It made me think of Joseph. Joseph was rejected by his family, but yet he was still chosen and precious in God's sight and eventually exalted in honor. David was also rejected by his family before he experienced success. Paul was rejected by many believers because of his past. But God still used him to write most of the New Testament. We cannot stop at rejection. Too many of us stop at rejection, stop at fear, and we never get to experience what exactly God's call is for your life. God has a final say. Remember that. No matter what man says, God has a final say. And I'm telling you right now, he is telling you that you are chosen and that you are precious. Let's look at verse 5. Verse 5 says, You also, as living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Again, we are called living stones. There are three things that we take away as being called living stones here. Number one. We are called living stones with Jesus, and the only difference is we are built upon the living stone. So when you're a believer, when you accept Jesus, Peter is saying you are a living stone, but we are built upon the living stone. And when you're built upon the living stone, then his spirit dwells inside of you, making you a spiritual house. But note that Peter uses the plural stones here Right, meaning that we are a community as well as, as individual spiritual houses. So when we leave this place, we are individually a spiritual house. When we come together as a community, we are a spiritual house. Yeah. The second thing here, we're supposed to be a holy priesthood, it says. So how do you be a priesthood? We stay a priesthood when we stay a living stone. Priests didn't leave the old temple. This isn't something we take on and take off. But no matter where we are or what we do, we stay connected to the living stone. All right? We can't just say, all right, I'm going to church on Sunday, so now I'm I'm going to be this living stone. And now I'm going to work on Monday around certain other people, and so now I'm not going to be a living stone. No. If we're a priesthood, priesthood was a priesthood. It was who they were, and they couldn't change that. The third thing it says here is that we offer up spiritual sacrifices. So how do you offer up spiritual sacrifices anyway? Now, this is my opinion here, okay? Three ways that we can offer up spiritual sacrifices. Number one, it all starts with we remember his sacrifice first. We always remember Jesus' sacrifice for our life. That's the first way we offer up spiritual sacrifices. The second way, number two, we continually offer ourselves as a living sacrifice. Romans 12:1 says this. Paul writes, "I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship." So we always have to remember his sacrifice. Number 2, we always on a continual basis have to offer ourselves as a living sacrifice. And the third thing, Give thanks in everything. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says this, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So again, these are all my opinion here. We need to remember his sacrifice first. We need to continually offer ourselves and in all situations, good or bad, give thanks. When we do those three things, we are offering spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to our Lord Jesus. Let's move on to verse six. Verse six says, "For this is a contained, or, or for this is contained in Scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone. And he who believes in him will not be disappointed." Here, Peter is quoting Isaiah twenty-eight sixteen. When he says, "I lay," he is saying God lays God does it God is the one who is doing this work in you when Peter says in Zion he's talking about the church that God lays and then when Peter says in Zion he's saying in the church and when he says what he lays in the church is the cornerstone the cornerstone is the most important stone in any building it is the it is the foundation stone it is the chief stone for the entire building that connects two walls together So it says that if we believe in in this stone and put our trust in the stone and choose to make him our foundation, then it says this at the very end, that it will not be disappointed, meaning we will never be put to shame. When we choose to make Jesus, who is the cornerstone, our, our foundation, it is saying that you will never be put to shame. You will never be disappointed. But... If we are living stones and he is our cornerstone, then that means we are not shaken only by taking him with us everywhere we go and in everything that we do. Again, this isn't the old temple anymore. It's not a place that we go to every now and then, but it's who we are, is what Peter is saying. So we gotta take it with us everywhere we go. That is the only way that we have a cornerstone, that we have a foundation, that no matter what hits us in life, we're not gonna be shaken. We have to take it with us. And, you know, to be honest with you guys, I can look at areas in my life right now and think, why do, why do I still struggle here? Why is it so hard for me in this area? And I know it's because at times I'm not fully aligned with my cornerstone. Again, the cornerstone connects two walls together. It is what holds the whole building upright. And I know that there's some times in my life when, when, just when I'm just in front of the cornerstone or just behind the cornerstone. I'm not perfectly in line, built upon the cornerstone at all moments. And think about it. When are times in your life just when you feel like, man, this just isn't right, where you, where just where you're feeling easily irritated, upset, depressed, whatever it is? Most likely it's because at that moment you're not currently aligned with the cornerstone. Because if we are aligned with the cornerstone, we're going to be hit. That's, that's, that's going to happen regardless. But we will not be shaken. Let's look at verse 7 and 8 here. This precious value, then, is for you who believe. But for those who disbelieve, this stone which the, which the builders rejected, this became the very cornerstone. And a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. For they stumble because they are disobedient to the word. And to this doom they were also appointed. The beginning part of this verse talks of the precious value. And I could not let go of how much being a living stone is related to the precious value we have for the living stone. Charles Spurgeon says this about this precious value. He says, This text Calls to my recollection the opening of my ministry. As a lad of 16, I stood up for the first time in my life to preach the gospel at a cottage to a handful of poor people who had come together for worship. I felt my own inability to preach, but I ventured to take this text. I do not think I could have said anything upon any other text. Christ was precious to my soul, and I was in the flush of my youthful love. And I could not be silent when a precious Jesus was the subject. I'm going to say the last part one more time. He says, I could not be silent when a precious Jesus was the subject. So the question I have for us this morning, and I don't want us just to skate over it because we do this our whole life, is how precious is Jesus to you? I want us to take a moment and really think about that. And I am so sick and tired of us, especially who have been in the church, just skating over that. Yeah, I know, God is good, God is there, I should go to God, I know, I know. No, no, no. you don't know. Because if, if, if Jesus was really precious to you, it would not just, it's not just something we know, but it transforms who we are. It transforms what we do. This is absolutely critical question. Because it is to this degree of how precious Jesus is to you, it is to this degree of how you are going to go about living Monday through Saturday. Of who you're going to be when you leave this church, is how precious is Jesus to you? And a good way of, of, of measuring how precious something is to you is to ask yourself this question If this was taken away from you, how would you respond? If this was t- completely removed from your life, how would it affect you? And I think of my kids, my two kids, and I brag about them. I share about them. I will die for them. Why? Because I love them because they are so precious to me. They are so precious to me. And God forbid, if they were taken away from me, I honestly, I have no idea how I would respond. I would be so completely and utterly devastated. I have no idea. But then I have to stop and think to myself, how would I feel if Jesus was taken away from me? If I didn't have him anymore, would it mean to me as much as, as, as my kids do? Because it should. It should more. That's the question we have to ask. And two things should happen if something is precious to us. Number one, we should live for it. And number two, we should share about it. If we feel we're unable to do these two things, then I would have to argue that what you say is precious to you is not that precious to you. If you're not able to live for it, if you're not able to share about it, then you, we really have to ask ourselves then, how precious is Jesus to me? Some examples that we could look at of, of, of how precious Jesus was to someone. Look at Paul on Friday night at prayer. Uh, Pastor Phil was was talking about how in how in, in um, the book of Philippians Paul is writing that book while in prison, most likely to him waiting his death, and yet here he is writing in, in 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 the book of Philippians saying how he is content in all things. How he says, I know what it's like to have little. I know what it's like to have much. But I know that I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength because I am content with Jesus. Why? It's because Jesus was so precious to him. That he was saying that, Jesus, you're all that I need. Bring death. Bring life. It doesn't matter. You are precious to me, Jesus. And that's all that I need. Think of King David in Psalm 51. I want to encourage you guys. Read Psalm 51. It is powerful. Here it is, a man of the highest status there is, making the most biggest mistake you could possibly make. And here is this guy crying out to God. And in Psalm 51, he's crying out, saying, God, take whatever you want, but don't take your spirit away from me. I know I messed up. I know I don't deserve it. But you can take whatever you want, but don't take your presence away from me. This is David describing how precious God is to him. Another thing we learned from verses 7 and 8 is that this precious stone it talks about is going to be the cornerstone no matter what. But there are two different consequences. Number one, we can believe, and this stone could be your unshakable foundation that will never disappoint you. Or two, don't believe, reject this stone, and it will cause you to stumble, take offense, meaning it's going to lead to your ruin. In these verses, Peter is quoting Psalm 118, 22, and is connected to the Jewish leaders of their time. Notice the stark contrast of the different consequences for the outcome of what we choose to do with this living stone. Makes you wonder why anyone would ever not want to believe in this living stone. Why anyone would never want to make this their foundation. But the problem... For the ones that rejected this stone was that the stone didn't fit their expectations. It didn't measure up with what they wanted. Jesus didn't look like the Messiah that they were waiting for their whole life. So it became a stumbling block to them, and they took offense to it, even to the point of crucifying Jesus. They took offense that even Jews and Gentiles could unite and share a common, uh, share a common cornerstone. Excuse me. Isn't it interesting that, we could, that, that, that what could be the most beautiful, glorious, wonderful thing in the world to us could at the same time cause someone else to take offense? And think about it. I'm sure that we've all come across those people that for one reason or another, when they hear about Jesus and the whole Christian faith, they take offense to it. They hate it. And it makes me think of my very first high school speech ever. I was a freshman at Logan down the street, and I was in a life skills class, and 9-11 just happened. It was only a a couple weeks into the school year. And and I don't know what the speech had to be on, but it was my first one ever in high school. And what we had to do was talk about 9-11 in some way, right? And so I was a little fireball for Jesus then. And so I was like, I'm telling them that this is Jesus wanting to get a hold of us, wanting to know how much he loves us. And so I did that. I did that in my life skills class at Logan. And at the end, you have to ask, is there any questions? And I asked that question, and a young lady raised her hand, and this is what she said. How dare you think that you can just force your religion on us? What gives you the right to do that? I froze. I completely froze. I didn't know what to say, what to do. I said something that to this day I don't remember, but I just remember seeing a bunch of blank stares like, what? And then I just sat down. But (laughs) praise God. The whole point is this, is that what is so amazing to us could at the same time be so offensive to someone else. And the same issue could be what causes us believers to not make Jesus our cornerstone to live on at all times. Things just don't make sense to us. We ask, why would God allow this to happen? Or God, you want to change this in my life? And that could cause us to disbelief, to take offense, and it, it could eventually lead to our ruin. When, when verse 8 says, For they stumble because they are disobedient to the word and to this doom, they were also appointed. It is not saying that these builders were predestined to stumble. It is saying that if we disobey the word, then we are destined to stumble. I'll say that one more time. Verse 8 saying how, how how these builders who rejected it it was to, it was it was uh, also appointed. It is not saying that these builders were predestined to stumble. It is saying that when we disobey the word, we are destined to stumble. And for thus, for us who have been around, we've all been there. Moments in our lives it's when we've totally just have have just done our own thing and we've fallen flat on our face. When we disobey the word, we are destined to stumble. And these builders they had a choice. They had a choice to make Jesus their cornerstone or to crucify him, to, to, to reject him. And that's what they chose. And here it is. This is, this is a statement that we don't like to talk about, that, that, uh, that uh, we don't like to share about, but we need to address it from, uh, uh, from time to time. And it's this. We can receive Christ as Savior now as, a, as our cornerstone or face him as judge. That's not something that we like to talk about all the time, right? We try to skate around that. But every now and then, especially in in, inside the church, we need to address this, right? We can make him our cornerstone or face him as judge. It's it's just that real, you guys. It's that real. Verse 9 says this but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. A people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Now put yourself in the place of these scattered believers as they hear these words from Peter, You are a chosen people. These people were, were, were ran away from their home somewhere in the middle of nowhere, and I'm sure felt lost, scared, hopeless, and abandoned. And now they hear that they're not forgotten. Peter echoes Psalm 33, 12, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom he has chosen as his inheritance. Some of you may feel forgotten right now, overlooked, underappreciated, but I want you to know that the God of the universe has not forgotten you and you are still chosen and because you are chosen, you are blessed and despite how you may feel about yourself right now and Uh, uh, or your call and if you even have a call at all when you make Jesus your cornerstone he says otherwise God chose Israel and it says that they were the fewest of all the nations Jesus chose the 12 disciples and they were definitely not qualified when he is your cornerstone you can go out and truly live life for his glory because you have someone who has been tested tried and proven worthy that is your cornerstone Peter also said that these scattered people are now a royal priesthood. Israel jealously separated the offices of royalty and priest. But Jesus brings it together for his people because that is who he is as the living stone. What an amazing amazing privilege these people have that in the Old Testament, not even kings could serve as priests. But now we're able to do both through Jesus Christ because he is our high priest, our mediator. We don't have to go to anyone, but we can go straight to him. And as priests who used to be the only ones allowed to enter the temple, Peter is saying that now we can all enter the presence of God ourselves, no matter where you are, because you are a living stone. Imagine how these believers heard this, knowing how far away they were from Israel, knowing how they were considered outcasts to the Israelites. Although this sounds wonderful, and it is, it also means this, that it should impact our life to where our speech and our conduct causes others to ask what is different about that person. Being a royal priesthood is not only wonderful, but it's also a privilege and a responsibility to us. Every day, we get to represent the king of kings. Imagine how these persecuted believers felt as they heard from Peter that they were a holy nation. Meaning that they were marked by God or purchased by God. In the Old Testament, many things and people were divinely set apart by God for his purpose. The tabernacle and temple and all their furnishings, supremely the Ark of the Covenant and the Holy of Holies, were set apart to God. The tribe of Levi was set apart for his priesthood. And the entire nation of Israel was set apart as his people. Now listen to this. Under the new covenant, however, such holy things as the temple, the priesthood, the ark, they no longer exist. Now God's only truly holy things on earth are his people, is his church. How amazing is that? How incredible is that, that that when you think of the ark of the covenant, about the old temple, the old tabernacle, that all those were set apart by God to him, chosen as precious But now today, all those things are gone, and the only thing that's precious to him today is his church. It's you and me. You are chosen. You are precious. This passage is also known as being peculiar people. This is what Vance Havner had to say about peculiar people. He said, the Greek word here carries the idea of making a ring around something to mark it as one's own. Christ has made a ring around us and claimed us for himself. When we make Jesus our cornerstone, we belong to him. And that should cause us to want to do something, not just inside this building on Sundays, but outside as a community as well. H.V. Lutt says this, The great power of God's word leads to salvation through faith in Christ, creating a special people. A community of believers who love one another, exhort one another, and serve God together. We need to pray that our churches will be an example of God's power to a watching world. Living Stones don't only do this on Sundays, but it is who we are, it is what we do everywhere we go. This is also why prayer and connect groups are so important here at Inspire Church. We want to be living stones being built into a spiritual house, not only so we can have an impact on those inside this building, but so that we can have an impact on those who are lost and hurting outside this building as well. And even if you feel like your theology is not very strong, well, let God's marvelous light shine from your attitude, your conversation, your conduct. People can argue th- Theology all day long with you. But one thing they can't argue with you is what God has done in your life. Start there. Start there. What has God done with you? Even if it's just one thing about how you came to know him. About that peace you felt. That love you felt that you never experienced before. Start there. Don't even talk about the Bible yet. Right? Start there. And then slowly it will get better and better. I'm going to conclude here. In verse 10, it says this For you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Imagine the Gentiles first hearing this, who had never felt like they ever belonged their whole life. And they are now being told that they share in this new covenant with the God of Israel. Peter wrote, how these believers were once not a people, but now they are a people. Didn't have mercy, now they have mercy. Peter is telling them that although this is all great news, remember this isn't who you used to be. You once were scattered, hopeless, confused, second-class citizens in the Roman Empire. And we need to remember the same at times. I'm not saying that we need to be stuck in our past and not moving forward because of it, but we need to stop and remember where we used to be. There was a time about a year ago, me, Pastor Phil, Chris, and Jeff we were sitting around talking. And I don't know how it got to here, but we all started talking about where would you be if it wasn't for Jesus? Where would you be right now if Jesus never stepped into your life? And we all started sharing about the ugly places about where we would most likely be if it wasn't for Jesus. And that just really just sparked something in me because I don't think about that enough. I don't think about sometimes I Sometimes I just get frustrated about where I'm currently at. Thinking that I'm not moving forward, that I don't know what I'm doing with my life. But if I just stop for a second and remember where I came from, then that would motivate me. It would inspire me to say, Wow, God, you are doing something in my life. Because I'm not who I used to be. By remembering what we were and where we were before, we can even more so appreciate where we now are, and that should move us to be living stones everywhere we go and everything we do. So in summary of this whole thing here today, so what is the whole purpose of being a living stone? What is the whole point of living, period, our whole series, this past four weeks? Well, to me, it comes down to what Peter wrote in verse 9 when he said this so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of the darkness and into his marvelous light. The whole point of living, church, the whole point of living is to proclaim his excellence. No matter what gifts you have, no matter where you feel called to, whether it be the marketplace in education, the church, outside the church, just as Peter wrote to these scattered believers everywhere, that wherever you are, we have all been called to do the same thing. No matter what you do for a living, we have all been called to do the same thing, and that is to proclaim his excellencies. Let it all start there. And I tell you what, if we just start doing that by our lifestyle and by our speech, and I tell you what, if you're struggling right now to find out what your call is in life, I tell you what, God will lead you there if you start declaring his excellencies. If you start declaring how good God is to you, then he will lead you to what your call is in life. He'll let you know.